This episode of Bossable Podcast is sponsored by Lean Agile Scotland. If you want to go beyond the basics, this conference is for you. I thought it was very accurate when last year someone tweeted that Lean Agile Scotland is the conference for agile adults. Because it really is. Speakers include Dave Snowden, whom you've already heard on this podcast, Melissa Perry, whom you've already heard on this podcast, Catherine Kirk, whom you've already heard on this podcast, Jay Bloom, whom you've already heard on this podcast. So the conference is going to be full of smart people having interesting discussions. To learn more and to get your ticket, go to leanagile.scot. That's leanagile, one word, dot S-C-O-T. When purchasing tickets, be sure to use the promo code BOSSLEVEL, one word, all caps, to get 10% off your ticket price. I'm definitely going to Lean Agile Scotland, so I hope to see you there. Welcome to the last episode of the second season of Boss Level. Today's guest is Esko Kilby. During previous interviews, at least three of the guests have asked me if I know Esko, since we're both from Finland. So Esko has created quite a following for himself through his blog posts and his talks on the future of work. We discuss how value is nowadays created in networks through interaction, how the experience and the context are key elements in value creation, and how selling should not be seen as a single transaction, but as a continuous, mutual learning process. We then explore how these concepts should be reflected in our organizations. Enjoy the episode. My name is Esko Kilpi, and uh, what comes to my professional life, I'm sitting on three chairs. Okay. One of the chairs is research, the second one is teaching, and the third one is to give advice to organizations, managers, leaders, knowledge workers, and students. And uh, my my mission in life is a very narrow thing, uh, and that's something I've been doing for quite a long time, and, and I've decided to do it, to do it as, as long as I possibly can. And that's trying to understand the changes what comes to work, the changing paradigms, the changing approaches regarding work. Okay, and how did you get in- interested in this? Well, I've been following uh, the impact of the internet for quite a long time, from 1991 roughly. And and what I saw was was kind of two things taking place. I saw that the traditional organization was was increasingly irrelevant because of the new approaches that were available. And it was also a huge opportunity to democratize possibilities for normal people. So it was some kind of a huge change, which then led me to trying to understand what knowledge work is, and understand what what uh, creativity has to, to, to do with, with work. So that's kind of the background I come from. Okay, so actually internet kind of was a was a big influencer in, in your thinking. Absolutely, the number one. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and how that is changing the way that we work. Right. Uh so so what do you find at the moment in your work? Like what inspires you? Well, what inspires me most is really what's happening globally. So I see actually great changes taking place in the world of work. I see that 
small corporations can do things that were only possible for very big firms just a few years ago. And just a few people coming together can do things together that, that demanded an organizational form again just a few years ago. So there's tremendous interesting things taking place. Of course, there are big problems, but there are also possibilities for us to get together to deal with those big, big problems. Not in a kind of reductionist way, meaning that you take care of the problem, I don't take part, but meaning in the way that we can invite great people to join. We can invite people to, to think together. And as we think together, there's a possibility to, to solve very, very big problems in new ways. And actually, I read from your Medium, uh, Medium account that you said that it is now more expensive to internalize than to link and network. So Precisely. What do you mean with that? So uh, what I mean is that uh, organizations per se were a kind of an answer to a problem that does not exist anymore. They were a solution to very high transaction costs outside the organization. So it was kind of... Uh, more difficult and more expensive to do things on the open market than it was to do things inside. So the coordination was cheaper than doing things on open markets. But as the coordination and communication costs have gone down rapidly, it's it's perhaps difficult to understand, but what we are changing to an era where it's more difficult and more expensive to do things internally than it would be to do things on open markets if we understand that markets has to be understood as as networks and by networks uh, i mean that that there's always it's always a kind of a multi mode structure it's not just you and me it's it's everybody else joining so this is one of the reasons why i claim that we should understand work not as tasks or as roles but as interaction So what I claim is that we should understand that work is interaction between interdependent people. And this interdependence, earlier it was the interdependence between a, a boss and a subordinate. Or in process models it was interdependence between the previous stage and what you do and the next phase of the process. But today we should understand that this interdependence is context specific. And that, by definition, requires us to be kind of more uh, flexible. We have to base our architectures on loose couplings. We have to be able to reconfigure the architectures to meet the kind of the contextual demands of the situation. The, the uh, in a way, the definition of the problem we try to solve. Mm -hmm. And I think when you talk about interaction, I think interaction is very easy to underst understand in the context of, of individuals. But when we start talking about um, interaction at the at the level of organizations or networks, can you talk a little about that? Can you like can you define it a little? What do you mean with interactions when you talk about it in the context of organizations? Well, it means that that instead of of trying to target uh, tasks separate from other tasks or or roles separated from other roles, it's, it's trying to understand the relational aspects. It's trying to understand what happens between and whether that which happens between is something that adds value or reduces value, whether that is something that creates complementarities or actually don't create complementarities. So it's much about kind of uh, trying to create architectures where you can create positive network effects. If we go back to the industrial era, I think one of the one of the key things in like what created a 
huge impact on productivity was the division of labor. And, and that, I think what you're saying is that that has now changed and we should be more interested in the interactions. So um, am I getting you correctly? And Yes, you are, absolutely. But, but it's still a question of what are we doing? And if we are creating physical things, then it still makes sense for one part to be manufactured separately from the other part. Of course, there's, a, there's also a possi- possibility for changes taking place here too, because of the, uh, the approaches of, of 3D printing, additive manufacturing. But so far, it's been, it's been kind of the idea was that one part of the whole is created separately from the other part of the whole. Now, this makes sense, as I, as I said, what comes to physical objects. But if we talk about service business, if we talk about information, then all the kind of the borders, all the divisions are social constructs, <clears throat> which means that there are no borders. Everything is linked. Everything is interactional by definition. So now it's up to us to kind of say that what's inside, what's outside, who should be involved, who should not be involved. And this is why I claim that one of the major decisions we need to make deal with the kind of the principles of participation, principles of communication. How do we participate? How do we communicate? Who should participate and why? How should we communicate? So one of your points is also that that the value that we now create is is in the interaction and it is through the experience and the and the context. <clears throat> well, that's right, but this is based on 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 some fairly recent academic research and it actually comes from the era of mass production. And the finding was was quite kind of insightful because if you think about organizations making products and then products being used by customers. And what the finding was that different customers have very different experiences, although the product is the same. Yes. And this, of course, is kind of self-evident, but it's kind of very insightful because we, so far, we thought that organizations create value for the customers. But if we take this uh, different value experiences or different value experience as the starting point, then we could claim that organizations don't create value for the customers, but the way customers use the products creates value. That's interesting. So it's the, it's the usage, it's the experience of use that is decisive. And of course, this coincides with the, the digital developments in the sense that this is by far the first time in the industrial era or the industrial history where companies can in fact be in direct contact with the use with the customers who use the products so the companies can be digitally present in the moments of value creation and of course this also creates a, a second challenge let's say that that we you and me we use the same product and for some reasons you get more value out of the product than I do. Then actually, then the link is not very beneficial it's if it's a link between me and the producer. But if I could link with your experiences, that would be very beneficial for me because we use the same product. And this has created the need to understand each and every product as social. So we need to create this social sphere spheres and we need to, to create 
the possibility for customers connecting with other customers so that I could learn from the way you use the same product that I use to create more value for me. So in the in like a traditional setting, uh, I think an example of this would be that when we're drinking wine, it's not only the product of like the wine that we're drinking, it's also the the restaurant setting that we're in. It's also the the story or the origin story of of the wine. It's it's like it's the interaction with the waiter who's telling you about the wine or the sommelier who's telling you about the wine and you ask questions and and value is created through that interaction. But what you're also talking about is or what you're specifically talking about is this happening in the digital world and with digital products. So do you like do you have examples of what would be a similar situation in in the digital world? Well, I, I think your example is very good because what you are talking about is complementarities to the bottle of wine or complementarities, creating complementarities what comes to the the wine itself. Mm, yeah. And of course, then this means that that in the digital domain, each and every thing we do, each and every product should link to something that complements it. And of course, it's much easier to do that uh, digitally than it is to do that physically because if you are at home it's very kind of expensive to get the sommelier coming here to to tell about the wine but it might be very easy to link the bottle of wine here at your home to the same kind of experiences same kind of histories that can be done but it's still not done often enough mm -hmm. yeah so basically it would be a way of getting that same experience, but at the comfort of your own home through digital experiences. Well, well, you can do that anywhere. That That's very easy to do if you understand the importance of linkages and if mm. you create this. And this, of course, has to deal with, with anything that is done in retail shops, for example. If you take a, a can of, of, of soup, it could be linked to the same kind of experiential things that you explain as the, as the sommelier explaining what, what the wine is. And that can be done by looking at the can of soup through your mobile device, of course. So you can create the stories, but still the problem is that, that very few organizations understand the importance of this kind of complementarities and this kind of understanding the importance of links. So links are more important than the nodes. Mm. And I think that there's definitely business value here because you can sell the wine at a higher price when you have a good story for it, and and when when the uh, like in the restaurant setting, it's also you can you can get a better price for it when they're instead of just selling selling it in a store. Absolutely. So it's not the physical properties of the product; it's the experience that the product yeah. then helps you create. How should we change our organizations to reflect this? Well, I guess I think organizations themselves are changing. So what I referred to as the possibility of small organizations de to deal with huge markets is because of, of the fact that they can link. They can link with, the, with a tremendously large numbers of people and they can help the people to link with other people. So um, in a way, that requires us not to, to look at organizations through the hierarchical structure or not even the process structures, but, but to understand the importance of this kind of, uh, of non-linear systemic approach to organizations, understanding the contextual nature, understanding the context-based networks that we are anyway part of. So uh, what do you mean when you say non-linear systems? What I'm saying is that um, 
most of the approaches to organizations are based on the idea that you can understand the linkages, you can describe the linkages, and you can kind of draw the, uh, a picture of the nodes and the links. So you can you can kind of uh, predict the causalities in the network. But what nonlinear here means is that there are always nodes that are not visible. Uh, what nonlinear also means is that there are always uh, kind of surprises based on the different understanding of causality. What this means is that, for example, if you, if you think about a group of people coming together, the competencies of the group of people are not uh, kind of based on the on a kind of a sum of the individual competencies of the people taking part, but the competence of the group is an emergent pattern of the interaction in the group. So it's it's highly uh, difficult or even impossible to understand competencies as emergent properties based on the systems models because they are not evident in the picture you draw. So we are coming away from from the systems thinking in a sense of understanding things through causalities to nonlinear systems understanding things through emergence. That's the difference. So you basically you're bringing in complexity. Absolutely. Under understanding it through complexity. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, you've also said that when designing something, we always reuse existing patterns. And the problem that we currently have is that we're using patterns from the industrial era. And uh, so what do you think that those patterns are that we're using and what should we replace them with? Well, one of the things during the industrial time was that in a way the main goal was to understand things as quantitative measures, normally measuring uh, financial results, measuring profit. And it was kind of enough if you made profit, then, you, then everything was fine. But if we think about the situation today, there are more and more of young people who are not that interested in just profit if they don't understand the purpose. So the industrial era model or the industrial era pattern was that there was a profit, kind of profit came before purpose, but that's rapidly changing. So it is about purpose before profit. One interest, interesting aspect of, of all of this, uh, of the... Uh focus on networks and the focus on interactions is also that and if if you're saying that it is it is now uh, more expensive to internalize than to link a network then does that mean that building large companies doesn't make sense anymore well i would say that uh, it may make sense but most of the kind of the best examples of modern organizations are based on a different logic. It's the kind of the supercell way of, of, of WhatsApp way of, of, of seeing that the core is very small and the, and the network is very, very large. And of course, uh, that was kind of understood to be totally impossible just a few years ago, but now it's possible. So it's a great opportunity to to be able to say that a few people can do really magnificent things and can, can deal with very, very large numbers of, of, of people, large populations. And that, that of course, creates a, a kind of more choices for the customers and, and society. That creates more diversity 
And I think that also creates more wealth. And so what you're, what you're referring to with Supercell and WhatsApp is that they have a fairly small amount of people yes. working for the company, but they still like, yes, they have create a huge, huge value, yeah, create yeah. huge value. Yeah. yeah. So big organizations are very good in uh, what comes to extracting value. But I would say that small corporations are very good at creating value. If we think about organizations today, and let's say that we're we have an organization that already exists, and we we kind of realize that we have a lot of design principles that are from the industrial era. What are the things that you think companies should do in that situation? Mm. Well, of course, um, one question that should be asked is: is are we really kind of understanding the diversity of customer situation, diversity of customer need, customer needs. Because for example, in in media business, media was based on the idea that aggregation was done kind of in-house in, in the media business, in-house, in-house the media organization. Aggregation meaning that what is brought together. Now what customers today want to do is they want to aggregate the content themselves, so they decide what's brought together. And of course, this then means that from the organizational point of view, what you should do is two things. You should understand your business is as more modular. And then the second thing, which is even more important, you should understand yourself as a platform, meaning that if the customer does not find what she needs from us, we should be able to link that. And that's one of the reasons why most organizations today want to create both not only kind of large size meaning scale, but scale and scope. And scale and scope together means that we are able to meet the individual needs of these customers that we want to serve. So if they, in a way, coming back to media, if if we don't have the answers to your needs, okay, that's fine because we are able to curate those needs from some somewhere else. We are going to be able to curate the answers from somewhere else. I'm trying to get at something that is like concrete things that an organization or a leader in an organization could start start with. So what would be a th- like a simple thing to to start moving in this direction? Well, the first thing is is quite simple, which is that that we should understand our business not as as value chains. And we should not understand the the customer contact as a sales process. We should understand ourselves as as value networks and the customer contacts as an interaction process, which then means is that that of course we want to to serve our customers, but we can't do that unless the customer helps us to understand the needs of the customer, meaning that what are the problems we want to deal what are the problems we want to solve with the customer so it changes the customer relationship on a one-way transaction meaning that here's the product to you and you give the money to me to a learning relationship and that creates a tremendous need for understanding or to understanding work as a learning and how instead of kind of efficiency being based on scaling up the organization size-wise the new thing is to scale up learning inside the organization and uh, the transactions become interactions yes continuous interactions hopefully with, uh, yes yeah. hopefully where uh it's also the organization learning more about the customer and its needs and kind of adapting the that to that in real time yes absolutely 
Wow. Precisely. That's really, really interesting. And I think that requires quite a lot from the organizations because we're used to kind of like chunking customers into groups and then trying to serve a group and trying to do that as efficiently as possible. Precisely. And, and that's, yes. that's the way to create profit yes. in the yeah. traditional yes. sense. Yes, yeah, yeah. So kind of you kind of turn around the process. You start with the customer problem, meaning that how you define the problem how you solve the problem and how you scale up the solution. So, so that is the essence of the learning process that has to scale up in the organization and in the network. This is really, really interesting. I'm trying to link this back to like, like how, to, how to organize around this. And the thing that kind of comes to mind is that we talk, like I talk a lot to companies about multidisciplinary teams or cross-functional teams because the point is that when you have different kinds of competencies within a single team you can serve the customers better because it like if you're a specialist and it doesn't fit your specialty then you're kind of out you're not able to serve the customer but if you're working in a in a cross-functional team your team can basically deal with anything end-to-end from the customer that is correct and of course the the principle then is that what the team should be based on are people who are exploring solutions to these contextual problems. So the structure of the team has to change based on what we are doing. And that creates exactly. a need to be much more kind of uh, flexible, much more agile than we ever been. And being able to uh, create teams based on the need of the situation. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes. And that is, I think, not something that traditional organizations are very good at. Well, you're absolutely right. And this is one of the cha- real big challenges. It's really a big question for most of the leaders today is the how to help to make the organization itself more agile. Mm-hmm. Not what we do more agile, but just the whole organizational structure more agile. Yeah, so different parts of the organization have a different kind of need to be adaptive. Some parts move slower than the others. What do you think about that? Do you agree or? Well, I do agree with you. And of course, it's very in, uh, difficult to to kind of uh, plan that ahead. But this kind of overall flexibility has to be the goal in the future. What do you think about if, if, a per, if someone is starting a new company and they can start fresh? Uh, do you have any design principles that you think people should apply now that they're starting new companies? Well, I think there are three principles that, that are highly important from, from my point of view or from my research. One is, of course, understanding things as relations, understanding this relational aspect that we've been discussing so far. So understanding that, that what really takes place takes place between people. And those people are not only the people inside the organization, but the customers are always part of the organization, as are the people that used to be called third parties, meaning that how we create the platforms that in effect looked more like multi-sided markets, how we make it possible to create uh, this scale and scope at the same time. So that's the first design principle. The second is that that really, if you plan for growth, it's not growing the supply side of the organization, it's really growing the demand side, which then means is that you have to understand as there are more kind of customers coming in the logic has to be based on not only that the, cost, the new customers give you more money, but the new customers have to create more value 
for the present customers, the ones that are already in there. And that's called network effects. So creating network effects is the third design principle. The third uh, is more or has more to do with human beings and that's the meaning of work. Why do people come to work for you and with you? And, and uh, it's not about seeing work as something that is kind of means to to pay back your student loans or, or or something else. It is really about understanding the importance of the meaning of work for the people, understanding the importance of the purpose. And what I claim is that work should be understood as three things. First of all, it has to be that you do things that you find meaningful. And I, I kind of claim that there are no unmeaningful things. It's just finding the people and finding the meaning. So doing meaningful things and secondly, doing meaningful things with meaningful people. Again, we come back to the importance of the group. And third, to do meaningful things with meaningful people in meaningful ways. That has to be a design pattern. I think there's a fourth design pattern that, that I tried to, to study myself at, at this very moment. And that's understand the, the, the kind of the essence in relations, what comes to whether the relations are asymmetric or symmetric. And by asymmetric, I mean that, that they are the relations where you are the boss and I'm the subordinate. You are the employer and I'm the employee. So there's asymmetric need between the people. And I claim that, that we should design our organization based on symmetric needs and symmetric power structures. And power, power does not mean that there wouldn't be any hierarchies, but power means that in one project you are my boss and in another project I'm your boss. So understanding again power and need from a symmetric relational aspect, I think is one of the key things we should do in the future. I sometimes talk about, I think there's a similar concept uh, as on-demand leadership. Right. That's a beautiful way to put it. That's yeah. very, very nice to put it. Yeah. So I, in a certain situation, the, the leader can be different than in another. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, again, uh, quite challenging because we are kind of taught and we have learned the leader is a specific person who exactly. has this specific capabilities to be a leader and it's like a personal capability or a personal character yeah instead of situational yeah you've also said or you've written that success in life has been seen uh, as being governed by two concepts skills and effort and so basically how bright are you and how hard you work but research uh, recently researchers have claimed that there's a third concept and that concept is the practice of lifelong curiosity so basically knowing what to do when you don't know what to do. And I think this links very nicely with this, that that it's also the, the fact is that if we're moving into this world, a lot of times we won't know what we need to do. And a key skill for anyone here is being able to deal with the uncertainty. Absolutely. And that that is that is why I claim that work has to be understood as learning. So learning is work and work is learning. And that's always about then interaction engagement because you don't learn if you are not engaged in what you do. If you do unmeaningful things, that's not the base for learning. And learning is always, always interactional. So if you don't relate with people, you don't learn. Okay, great. Thanks a lot for your time. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. Thank you.
This marks the end of season two. So thanks for taking the time to listen to the Boss Level Podcast. I've learned a lot from the guests and I hope you have too. Boss Level Podcast will return in August. The third season will be better than ever. Most of the guests are already decided, but tips are still welcome. Also, any feedback or ideas on how to improve are highly appreciated. You can reach me at sami at bosslevelpodcast.com. The summer is a great time to listen through all the episodes again. I bet you will pick up new things on the way. Also, be sure to share the episodes you like on social media. To make sure you don't miss the beginning of next season, you might want to join the mailing list. The link is in the show notes. Have a great summer and tune in again in August for the third season of the Boss Level Podcast.